as we continue to finish discussion of the submission to governments and what does this look like, what does uh, civil obedience and by extension civil disobedience look like, we're going to talk about uh, disobedience as an act of worship. What does that mean for us as believers as we continue this passage in Romans 13, 1 through 7? We kind of introduced it last week, and hopefully we can uh, go deeper into it this week. So in answer to the question, so how do we practice as a believer, as a church, civil disobedience? What does that look like? You know, it's, it's amazing. Now, I thought about this, and think about this. It, it, it's, it's like God knew this would come up in our lives. And this is a part of Scripture. This is a part of, of teaching us how to live and what does it look like. How do we practice civil, biblical civil disobedience? Over the last several years, I, I, I've known people and I've heard of people and I've met them who, who say they're practicing civil disobedience. I have acquaintances who are living off the grid, so to speak, who, who, who are hiding and, and, and doing everything by cash because they are um, Christians. They say they're doing this so they won't have to face the inevitable persecution that comes with being a Christian. So they're, they're living here in Blunt County, and you might have seen them at Walmart, not even known it, but are living off the grid to avoid uh, persecution. I've known men that refuse to pay their taxes as, a, as, a, as, a, as they would call it a Christian protest. Because they say they, they, they are protesting the use of their taxes in, in different, different ways. And, and the question is, are these biblical? Is this, is this, what, is this how, what biblical civil disobedience looks like? You know, how do we do it right? Is it important that we do it right? And I believe that it is. It's important that everything that we do, we do it orderly, godly, as God would have it to. There, you know, there is a freedom in Christ. We know that verse. But but when 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 that freedom was the freedom to worship God, it wasn't freedom to do whatever you wanted to. You know, it's, it's the freedom to worship and to obey and to follow God and follow His Word. We say that the Bible is our source; it's our guide. I believe it is even in this. So as we look at Romans 13, 1 through 7, uh, verses 1 through 7, Romans 13, 1, we talk about what is civil disobedience. What does that look like for us as believers? Romans 13, 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, Whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. 
taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. As we said in this section, as we started this, we made that transition in Romans 12, 1. We said that this was a watershed verse. That all of this, everything that we read after Romans 12, 1 is influenced and impacted by the truth of Romans 12, 1. Romans 12, 1, Paul wrote, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so as we discuss the application of the gospel, I said that Paul taught us the very, the very foundation, the very core, of the very living out of the gospel is worship. This is our spiritual worship. We are to worship God because he is worthy. We're to live in such a way as to acknowledge the worth and worthiness of God in everything that we do. That, that, that this is the summation of our life. This is our calling of life. This is what we're called to. It's to worship. In everything we do, in every way we are, we are to worship God. And this includes living obedient to governments. Living obediently to governments is an act of worship. It is a spiritual worship. And our, our, our default setting as Christians, Paul said, the way we're to live, our default is to be obedient. As Christians, we are to be the most obedient citizens in America. We are to submit to our government. Joyfully submit to our, our government. Because they are God's ministers. So it isn't just me. Well, I'm going to do what it says. We, this, is, this is where it gets hard for me. Because I think I was, I, I don't know, I don't think it had to be taught, but I caught it real well. The, 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 the role of, a, of an American is to complain about the government. Right? That's our role. Is it just something we have lessons on in school? I don't know. But it just seems like that's us. We are the best complainers of our government. More so than, than I saw in many other places. We do it well. Submitting to our government does not mean I'm going to drive the speed limit and I'm going to complain every single moment of the time. Or I'm, I'm going to do what the government says, but I'm going to complain about it. We're joyfully submitting. This is our worship. It's about worshiping God through obedience to our government. I don't know. I, I, I pray for me. I would love to say I enjoy obedience to our government as much as I enjoyed singing those songs. Wouldn't it be great? If we could have the same, I, I love that song we were singing this morning, uh, the, the first one, um, and just well, it moved me, and I just enjoyed it. I was just caught up in it. I have to say, I haven't had that very, happen very often when it comes to obedience. For some reason, it's just, just not there. But it should be. God, make me, make me have that kind of obedience, that joyful obedience to, to our governments. It's a worship. It's a spiritual worship. These are God's ministers. We are to be obedient to these civil authorities. 
And to be a disobedient to civil authority is to incur the wrath of God. To resist them, Paul said, is to resist God. So it's important that we get this right. So, so we're not worried about jail. We're not worried about, well, man, if I, if I do this, I might go to jail or I might get a ticket. That, that's, 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 that's Paul said, don't even worry about that. That's, that's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about living in such a way as I'm worried about living against God's standard, what God's called me to. We're worried about God's wrath, which might include jail, but that's it, but but may not. But that's what that's what we're living this this life. So we are to live this life of civil obedience. And all that we do is joyful obedience. Yet, there are places in the Bible where civil, where civil disobedience is practiced. And I think, as we said last week, there are, there, are way, there are places that civil disobedience is accepted by God. And I argued, this is what Paul meant when he said, they are, a terror to good, they are not a terror to good behavior but to bad. When governments are calling us, calling for us to disobey God, then they are not good governments. And, 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 and we've got to be very specific in this. Then and only then can we disobey. So when they are calling me to not worship God, I can and should disobey them. Just there. But, but here's the thing. So, so it, it, it should be this glaring light in our lives. So here we are. We are joyfully obeyed. We're joyfully obeyed. We're joyfully obeyed. And they call me to do that. So no, oh, no, can't do that. And that should just be a glaring light. Everybody sees their lives and say, whoa, wait a minute. I thought you obeyed the government. I do, except here. Here I can't. Here I can't do that. Because the Bible's so clear. So how do we disobey? What does that mean? Paul said in verse 5, Therefore, to sum this up, therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So, since the Bible is our source of authority for life, and it's God's way, and it's God's word for life, How do we how do we live? How do we do this disobedience? And as we read the Bible, and I believe it can be. There are places where civil disobedience is an act of worship to God, and that's what we're called to. And all that we're doing is to worship. So first, I think to give us a little contrast. I want us to look in the Bible and see a place where, where civil disobedience that, that seemed godly. I mean, it looked like it should be godly, but it was not an act of worship and therefore was not to be commended by God. So let's look at Exodus 2 for just a second. Turn to Exodus 2. Let's look at Moses' life. We know the story, but I want you to look at it anyway. Exodus 2, verse 11. Here is an account 
of civil disobedience. And on one hand, you would look at that and say, well, here's this is a good place for biblical civil disobedience. But the Bible does not commend it. Exodus 2, verse 11. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people. Now, this is God's chosen people. This is Israel. This, these are the people that God is going to rescue. God loves these people. He says love upon them. They're, they're, they're descendants of Abraham. Moses went out and looked out to, and went out to his people, and he looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian being a Hebrew, one of, one of, one of his people. And he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. See, this is, this is civil disobedience, but I would argue it is not biblical civil disobedience. It, it looked right. I mean, he's stopping this guy from being beaten. That would be a good thing, right? In our estimation. That's what we should do, right? But it's not biblical. See, God was the one who's going to lead them out of slavery. God was going to deliver them from this God in his time, in his way. Not in Moses' time and in Moses' way. Not through through leading up to this violent attack. Not through winning the battle. Not through killing. God was going to do it through surrender. Not through violence. See, this was not an act of worship. This was not an act of worship. This was just an act of, I'm going to stop it, and I'm going to kill this guy because he's doing it. I'm going to hide the body, and I'm going to get away with it. It was an act of worship. It didn't work either, did it? So we can practice civil disobedience, and it seemed right. We can justify it in ourselves. It seems right and logical. We know the story. Moses did this. He hid the body. He thought, man, look what I've done. I, I, I've helped out. Started easing the burden of my people. Until the next day. But this was, the problem was, this was contrary to God's will. This was not the way that God was going to deliver the people. This was not the way he was going to win this. And this just scare us. See, civil disobedience is an act of worship, always an act of worship. Or should be an act of worship if it's biblical. So first of all, let's look at civil disobedience as a worship of the image of God. As worshiping of the image of God. And look, look again at Moses' life, but this time is his birth. We know the story of, we'll turn back to chapter, in chapter 1, verse 15. We know the story of the Hebrew midwives. And Moses' parents, now they disobeyed a foreign king. They disobeyed Pharaoh. Pharaoh had made a command. All the Hebrew children, male children should be put to death. This was his command. You have two choices. You obey it or you disobey it. And we know the story in Exodus 1.15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve the midwife, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them on their birth stool. If it is a son, you shall kill it. But if it's a daughter, she, she shall live. 
But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. And I know the temptation to say, well, they, they were doing it to save a life. And they were. They were, they were saving a life. But, but it's important to recognize that the value of human life is not that it's human. It's not that it's a, as opposed to an animal. The value that there, there's no more value in a human life other than any other created life, other than the fact that it was created in God's image. What makes us valuable is the fact that we were created in God's image. I, one of the questions I love to ask my students in ethics class: Why is murder wrong? And the response they always say is, "Well, because we're human." And I said, "That makes you a great humanist. That doesn't make you a good Christian." So that's what a humanist would say, because you're human. As if we have some sort of inherent value within ourselves. The problem with seeing it that way is you miss the true value. You get sold a, 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 a secondary value. Genesis 9-6, sorry, 9-5 and 6, when, when he's talking about murder... God writes, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. So, so if, if, you, if someone kills a man, then the punishment is death. Because in verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Murder is an attack upon the image of God. That's, that's the problem with murder. Our value is the fact that we were created in God's image. So here's the Hebrew midwives are worshiping God by protecting the image bearer of God. Disobedience is an act of worship. They feared God, Moses tells us, and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. You know, for us, it's easy to look at it and say, well, they, they, you know, they might have done it because they love the kids or they love children. No, they did it out of a fear and reverence of who God is. We also have the story. Now, this was a foreign king. How about a, how about a king of Israel? Let's look at Obadiah for just a second. Obadiah is a real interesting character. One of these little small uh, verses in Obadiah, first king, verse 18. a couple of verses. It's almost like you were talking about a, a pepper. Uh, Paphroditus this morning. Just a little bit scripted. Man, what a great story. Obadiah in 1 Kings 18 verses 3 and 4. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now, so he worked in the household of the king. He was, a, he was, he was not just a citizen of Israel. He worked under the king. He was in that household uh, as a butler, as, as, as kind of the, the house manager of this. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Notice we have that same passage. Just like the Hebrew midwives, there's this fear of the Lord. That's the motivation. They, he feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them bread and water. 
act of civil disobedience in order to save lives, or not to save lives, but to worship the image of God, which was saving lives. So here's the civil disobedience as a worship of the image of God. It's interesting to me, both these cases, they hid their disobedience in order to continue saving the life of others. Now let's look at civil disobedience to worship God. And as we talked about last week and mentioned, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to bow down in Daniel 3.12. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Babylon, sorry. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So they wouldn't worship other gods. This was their civil disobedience. They were called to worship these other gods, and they refused to. You know, it's interesting to me, they didn't hide in the corner or, or try to fool them. They didn't like say, okay, I, I'm going to bow down, but in my heart, I'm really bowing down to God of gods. I'm just going to act like I am. So, so everybody would feel fooled. They didn't say, well, uh, I, I can't. No, they were, they were, they stood up. They were stood very straight and clearly answered when they were, when they were confronted with this. So perhaps I think one of the best verses in the Bible. You gotta love this. You know, it's one. There's certain verses in the Bible that it's almost like you had a movie. You ever been in a movie when the hero does something great and the whole audience claps and applauds and you know, yeah, you know. This is one of those passages that if you're in a movie, we would all like applaud or something. So here they are. Nebuchadnezzar has just told them what will happen if they don't bow down. And this is their answer in, in, in Daniel 3, 17 and 18. So Nebuchadnezzar said, now listen, if you don't, when I'm going to play the sound, if you don't bow down, I'm going to put you to death. You're going to be thrown in fire. You're going to be killed. They answer, if this be so, our God whom is able to serve, I'm, I'm sorry, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you set up. You know, don't you love that? I mean, here he is, he's like, God's able to serve us, but even if he doesn't, we're still, we're not going to serve that God. We refuse to do this. Didn't try to hide. Didn't, there was no evasion uh, 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 here. They were very clear and willing to accept the consequences of this. Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. We know the story where Daniel refused to not pray. Here, they, were, they refused to bow down. Daniel refused to not worship. Verse 7. All the high officials in the kingdom, the, perf the, the prefects and satraps and the counselors and the, and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast in den of into the den of lions. When Daniel knew that the dog the document had been signed. He went to his house where he had his windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. 
He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to, before his God as he had done previously. He did what he always did. I mean, how hard would it have been for him to walk over and just close the windows? He knows where Jerusalem is. It would have been hard, right? Just pull the curtain over the windows. Go back and pray. So I'm still praying through the window. But in the same place, in the same time he always did it, he continued to pray. He practiced civil disobedience. And again, didn't try to hide. Peter and John, we know the story in Acts 4. They refused to not worship God as they speak about him to others. They've been caught speaking about God. They can't help but speak about God. God is so wonderful and so great they can't help but speak about him. And they've been ordered not to. Acts 4, 17-20. And they answered, or they were told, sorry, but in order that it may spread no further among the peoples, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they said, we're, we're going to tell them, don't speak about him. Don't go say anything. So they, that is the, 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 high, the high priest, the Pharisees, called Peter and John and charged Peter and John not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. You know, if I can, I guess, kind of add to this. I wonder, you know, I've said before, how, why is it so easy for us not to speak of God? You know, why is it so easy for us to not speak? I wonder about, you know, you wonder about this. Would the Pharisees and the Sadducees have even bothered to tell us, oh, you can't speak anymore about Jesus? Would they even felt the need to, to bother with that in our lives? I hope so. I hope that they would that if they could if they if they were here and they would call us in, they would look at it and say, "Man, I'm going to tell this person to not speak about who Jesus is." But anyway, they, they said they're up and they're honest. So listen, we're going to continue to speak about him. You don't, like, yeah. I'm, this is civil disobedience. You're, you, we know God's appointed you there. We know that you're in that position. But hey. We can't help. We are going to do what God called us to do. We're going to worship. I believe it's interesting that in all three of these cases, the men were open and did not try and hide their disobedience. You know, last week we saw that, that Canadian minister, and I asked if he was practicing biblical civil disobedience. 
And the, the truth is, we really don't know this part. If he was doing it at an act of war, at a, as an act of worship to God, then he was in the right. If he was doing it out of pride or self-interest, then it was a sin. But that's true of everything. I mean, if, if I read the Bible as an act of worship and devotion and the love of God, it's honorable. If I, if I read it as a as when I'm, I'm winning points from God by reading it out of pride and self-interest, it's a sin. And the, the crazy thing is, we can't know our hearts. We can't know his heart. We pray and hope that it was an act of worship. And you know, the, the interesting thing is, other than that, I don't find any other places for disobedience, for civil disobedience. In fact, just the opposite. So I told him yesterday, I find places where people were commended for not reacting with civil disobedience. You see, I would argue that yes, we are to practice civil disobedience when it comes to worship. But what about the protection of our home and our property? Please turn with me to Hebrews 10, verse 32. What about the protection of our home and property? Hebrews 10, 32. As Paul is talking to this to this uh, group, or not Paul, sorry, the writer of Hebrews, is talking to this group. He writes in Hebrews 10.32, But recall the former days, when after you enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. So here he is. He said, after you come, after you're enlightened, after you come to the truth, after you learned about who God was, you became exposed to this horrible treatment. And some of you went and even and even stood beside of them, partnered with them to expose yourself to that. You partnered with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourself had a better possession and an abiding one. Here you are, you're sitting there and you're joining up with these people that are being mistreated because they're Christian, and, and, and they're seizing your property, they're seizing what you own, they're seizing your house, and you're joyful about it. You're joyfully accepting this. Where's the civil disobedience? Now please understand, we live in a very unique time. If the governments come to seize your property, does this mean that you can't do everything within the law to keep it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You are. You, you, you do. I believe you have the right in God to do everything you can within the law to keep it. Paul appeared, appealed to Caesar, right? When he was about to be beaten, he said he appealed to Caesar. That was in the law. But in the end, if the government seizes your property, if they pass a law tomorrow that says all Christian properties are subject to seizure, we should react joyfully to this. Why? Because we know that we have a better home. We don't, re we don't 
fight and riot and, and, and violently oppose this. The God response is to joyfully accept it. To me, a hard one is this gathering to worship. I, this is one I struggle with as a believer. So, so as you know, and, and I know, from the very earliest time, the church gathered in the catacombs to worship. They, they did it in secret. And still, up to this day, there are underground churches. So I cannot and will not say they're wrong. But then I also have Hebrews 10 to look at. And see, Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews is a celebration of the victory of Christ. Hebrews chapter 2, God reigns, Christ is won, the battle's over, he's defeated. Every All of his enemies. He rules and reigns over everything. And here are these believers that are showing their partners with the ones in prison, associating with them, and joyfully accepting the loss of property. There's an axiom that I was reminded of yesterday that we have to remember about this. As Christians, we win through suffering. We win through suffering. This is how we fight our battles, through suffering. That was told yesterday. We have a tendency to forget what victory looks like in God's kingdom, don't we? We we want to we like we like our victors to be crossing the finish line front, arms upheld, leaving all of our opponents in the dust. That's the way we like our victors to look. Not beaten and crushed on a cross. Paul is telling us how to overcome evil with good. As he commanded in Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, often what passes for Christian civil disobedience looks like more like Moses before the bush than after, doesn't it? Revelation 12, 10 and 11, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Now, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and our authority of Christ have come. You know, you, you hear this, you think, man, what a great verse. Salvation and power and kingdom and authority have come to earth. For the accuser of our brother has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him. They, as in the, the, the believers, us, the church, we've conquered them. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the of their testimony. And here's our testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Even unto death. You know, it is tempting to practice civil disobedience. Listen carefully. It is tempting to practice civil disobedience so that God's plan of persecution, trials, and troubles don't happen. We want to practice civil disobedience so we don't have to suffer. So we don't have persecution. So we don't have any problems. Moses looked upon that, that, that Hebrew slave being beaten and said, Man, 
I, I can end this. I can end this. The problem was this was God's plan for him to be there. To suffer under the, the persecution. question is, do we love God's plan or the American dream more? Which one do we want? Our default setting is to be obedient. And this includes taxes. See, we are to pay our taxes as an act of worship. As an act of worship. And I hope, I really hope, you don't come in and say, man, I hope we don't have to sing songs of worship today. I really hope we don't have to sing songs of worship today. And when, when Mark says, I'm going to stand up and sing songs, oh man, we got to sing songs of worship. I hope that's not your attitude. But I know that's definitely my attitude when it comes to taxes. I'll be honest with you. I hope I don't have to pay taxes. I hope I don't have to. I'm thinking, so I'm missing something here. You know, I really am. I, I, this, this, this passage works on me. I'm missing something. Because my attitude toward taxes is vastly different. It's an opportunity to stand up and sing songs of worship. So please believe me. <laughs> I, I'm not saying this because then I got to understand. I'm saying this because I'm just trying to read what God's word says, and this is what He says. Paying taxes is an act of worship. All this is our spiritual worship. Even when we're sure somebody had miscalculated, like Carol, somebody had to get this wrong. But you know. May we do it with joy. Paul said, For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. They are ministers of God, and we're, 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 this is our offering. This is an act of worship. You know, and it's closed. We had a very fruitful and encouraging discussion about verse 7. Pay to all what is owed. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. You know, the tax part made a, a lot of sense to me, but what about the rest? And as, as I was pointed out yesterday, Paul's making the argument from greater to lesser. Probably the hardest thing for us to do is pay taxes, isn't it? That's, I mean, we don't know. I, I'm just honest. Can anybody can say, I, I honestly, I love paying taxes? Okay, good. I'm, I'm with people that just like minded believers. Okay. Just, there's no liars here, right? None of us lie. This is hard for us. We don't enjoy this. But Paul's saying, you know, from the greater tax of doom, tax of load, revenue, if, if you owe someone that they're due, their work, pay it. Pay it. As he's moving on to, to, to verse 8, as he's transitioning. We give honor to whom honor is owed and respect to whomever we can. Do we recognize, even in the government, when they do good? You know, this is, I mentioned yesterday, um, I read about Governor Lee, who gave $1.2 million to Tim Tebow's um, Human Trafficking Foundation. Well, th that's a good thing. You know, do, do we recognize that? Do we? Do we, do we make an effort to commend government officials when they do well? Or do we just spend more time writing the complaint later or complain to others when they do bad? So we, we should we should seek to do honor those when honors do them.
uh, when, when a politician makes a stand about abortion, we should honor them, give them respect, whom respect is owed. And as as we'll get into verse 8, owe no one anything except the dead of love. I don't, you know, I, I think there's, there's some hard parts in this, but I, I don't see this as a hard lesson. To me, the hard part is not civil disobedience. The hard part is the radical obedience. I mean, I, it, it is is that living this living our life in such a way that it, that we look obedient, joyfully obedient, paying taxes joyfully, do it, do it, do it, living at this life as if into the ministry of the Lord, and then when we're called to 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 worship God through saving lives or through civil disobedience, or called to to worship to not worship a false image. Or not allowed to worship God, then we we practice biblical civil disobedience. But other than that, I feel like that Christians we should be the most obedient citizens, joyful, submissive, not complaining, not murmuring citizens in the United States. And it concerns me that that's not. How we're known. It's not. And as 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 a church, and I mean church universal, I, pr- I think this is something we need to pray about. May we be known as citizens who who joyfully submit to the ministers God has placed over us wherever we possibly can to God's glory and His love.